This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. Hello again, everyone. This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel again here with the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit today about abnormal labs. Some of the most frustrating calls in EMS are when the nursing home calls with that abnormal lab. Oftentimes, these labs are drawn two to three days ago and now have just resulted in an outpatient lab. Like most in EMS, it's hard to tell what is important and what do they mean. Are they dangerous? Could they be potentially dangerous? Or is it a waste of time transporting these patients? And I think one of the most important questions that we often ask ourselves in transport is, can this patient deteriorate on transport? Now, for the majority of the labs, the good news is, is I think it's a, if it's been three days uh, from those labs were drawn, they're probably going to do just fine with transport. Could they deteriorate? Absolutely. But I think it's less likely given that these labs were drawn at a long time ago or several days ago. Now, that being said, it's probably one of the most important questions when looking at labs or going to a transport when you're talking about abnormal labs is to ask when those labs were drawn. If they were three days ago, could they potentially have gotten worse over that three days period of time? Has their body compensated? I guess it always depends on what the patient is. Say potassium of five, uh, three days ago, could that be now a potassium of eight and the patient now looks very pale diaphoretic and there could be a concern that they may be in some type of torsades or in a um, wide complex tachycardia as a result of that untreated high potassium level uh, that had been ongoing for three days before that lab resulted. And so really it depends on the patient's condition, but most of the time if it's been three days and they haven't deteriorated and they're just calling for abnormal labs and the patient looks well, it's likely that those labs are going to be just fine and they're not going to deteriorate on transport. So what we're going to talk about today is just some of these labs. And so we're going to talk about CBC, our uh, complete blood count, a CMP, a complete metabolic panel, uh, lipase levels, urinalysis, troponin, BNP, or brain natriuretic peptide, and TSH, or thyroid stimulating hormone. And that's usually kind of the abnormal labs that we see. And please, please feel free to uh, ask comments, and we can always address other labs as well. So CBC, let's talk about what is in the CBC. The most important thing to look at is the white blood cell count, or WBC, hemoglobin, shorthand HGB, hematocrit, HCT, and the platelets, or PLTs, that you'll see here. The white cell count, or WBC, is a normal range is 4 out of 10. And really what these cells are, are cells that tell us what type of infection, or if there's some type of inflammation, so either inflammation or infection. An elevated white cell count basically tells us there could be some type of infection or they could have some type of inflammation. We often see these elevated after trauma because trauma is a very inflammatory process. Also with autoimmune diseases you can see that, but most commonly what you're going to see with a high white count is probably infection. If you're going for laboratories of a high white count, you might want to assume there could be some sort of infection. It's not necessarily just because you have a high white count that indicates an infection, and it's really not necessarily a medical emergency. Really, they don't define a medical emergency when it comes to white cell counts until you're about 50,000 or greater than 50,000. And that normal range of white cells is from 4 uh, to 10. So anything above 10 is considered high or leukocytosis. And then if you have anything less than 4, that's leukopenia, which is low white blood cell count. So we talked about high white cells. Let's talk a little bit about low white cell count and what does that necessarily mean? 
And so low white cell count actually can indicate some autoimmune disease. It can also indicate some type of infection such as uh, retroviruses like HIV. You can see low white counts and you can see these viruses actually suppress the white cell count and prevents you from having a mounted immune response or actually having white cells to fight off the infection. And then cancers too can cause uh, leukopenia. And so a lot of times in your nursing home patients, you can see decreased white cells and red cells or RBCs. These can both be depressed when it comes to cancer as, as a result of the chemotherapy itself. So we've talked about white cell count. Let's move down the complete blood count to the hemoglobin. So essentially hemoglobin is a measure of the iron containing part of the blood that actually binds to oxygen and that's hemoglobin. Normal hemoglobin for men is between 13 and 17 and 11 and 15 in women. Really what we care about in this is when it's too low. So basically you'll get called to a nursing home when the hemoglobin is less than 7. That's considered a critical lab. And the reason is anything less than 7 usually is an indication for a patient to be admitted to the hospital and receive a blood transfusion because their blood levels are too low. Now, there can be times where hemoglobin is too high. Most of the time we see this in cancers. Dehydration can cause hemoglobin to be elevated. COPD and sleep apnea can also be causes. Now, in addition to hemoglobin, we look at hematocrit. Now, the normal values of this is 40 to 50 in men and 34 to 44 in women. Hematocrit is another measure that we look at in the CBC, but it really doesn't have any clinical significance for us in EMS. Now, platelets actually do have some significance and can be a cause for critical lab finding. And so the normal value of platelets in a CBC runs between 140,000 to 370,000. What we're worried about is if the platelets are too low. If the platelets are too high, it's usually not a medical emergency, and causes of this could be iron deficiency, anemia, infection, or blood loss. What we really get concerned about is when it's lower than 50,000. So when it's lower than 50, usually we has, the patient has some type of platelet dysfunction, and sometimes less than 50,000, the patient may require a platelet transfusion. Now, if it's less than 10,000, it's definitely a medical emergency if it's not a chronic. Now, in the acute setting, meaning in the in the near-term or very short-term setting, a platelet loss of 10,000 could indicate some type of medical emergency that needs to be evaluated at the emergency department. But, especially in our cancer patients, our chronic renal failure patients, and other autoimmune diseases, they actually may live at that low platelet level and that their oncologist has a certain threshold before they will transfuse their platelets. That being said, that's not for us in EMS to decide. If you get called from a critical lab and you go to the nursing home to take this patient or from a primary care office or a hematologist's office, that obviously is an indication to transport. Whether you need to transport code 3 depends more on the evaluation of the patient and the presentation of the patient, but most of the time this can be a code 1 transfer. So next we're going to talk about the metabolic panel, and there is a lot on the comprehensive metabolic panel, or the CMP, but what I want to draw your attention to is a couple things, the electrolytes and then also the kidney and liver functions specifically. So what we can use from the metabolic panel is the electrolytes, sodium, potassium, chloride, the glucose, the kidney functions such as BUN and creatinine, and as well as the liver enzymes, the AST and ALT. So let's first talk about the electrolytes. Let's talk about sodium. So sodium normally runs between 135 and 143. When it's too low or less than 125, we get really worried about the patients entering a medical emergency. And this could be altered mental status, 
seizure, and can lead to a coma. Now, there are many causes of low sodium, and that could be medications. A lot of your anti-seizures, antipsychotics can cause low sodium, CHF or congestive heart failure, chronic kidney disease, or too much water intake. And also, if you are in the Ironman or around the mini marathon and marathon, marathon runners can also have low sodium and cause altered mental status and seizure. If you ever are doing the bike team at Louisville Metro or you're helping assist at these details, a marathon runner passing out and is now very altered could potentially be a low sodium. It could be their diagnostic finding. Additionally, you can have sodium that is too high, and that's greater than 145. And this can be caused from dehydration, can be caused from diuretics or drugs that make you uh, urinate often. Vomiting, diarrhea, and other medications can do this. This is not usually a medical emergency unless there's some type of underlying mental status change associated with this high sodium or hypernatremium. In addition to sodium, we also have potassium. The normal levels of potassium are 3.7 to 5. Why is potassium important? Well, it can be problematic if it's too low or too high. If it's too low or less than 3, it's usually caused by vomiting, diarrhea, and medications. Most of the time, there's not as much concern, but it can cause problems with the QT for the EKG. What we really worry about is when it's too high or greater than 5. When it's greater than 5, there's a risk that the patient can go into an arrhythmia and have a prolonged QT causing a wide complex tachycardia. The thing to look for is EKGs. If you see peak T waves for our paramedics out there, this might be an indication that this elevated potassium is real. And you also can see a prolonged QT when you have too high of a potassium. Now the good news is, especially when it comes to abnormal labs, the most common cause of an elevated potassium, have you guessed it yet, is a hemolyzed sample. So what happens is when you collect the blood, the red cells get into the tube and they lyse or break apart. And when they break apart, they dump all the electrolytes that they have in the tube. And that electrolyte is going to be potassium leaving the cell. So the most common cause of an elevated potassium is most of the time going to be a hemolyzed sample or that the red cells are dumping potassium into the tube and giving a false elevated reading of potassium. But how do we tell if it's real or it's fake when we go into evaluating those patients is that we check the EKG. And if we see EKG changes, more than likely or not, there's something wrong with potassium. And the treatment for that is to stabilize those membranes with calcium. Now, another electrolyte that we see often in the CMP is chloride. Now, really, this is never an issue in EMS. Normal levels are going to be 100 to 108. But really, from an EMS standpoint, this is not as relevant as potassium and sodium. Now, let's talk about glucose. Glucose is pretty easy, right? Sometimes you can get abnormal labs and get called for a critical lab finding to a nursing home or a clinic office. If it's a nursing home and you find that the glucose was 600 three days ago, well, hopefully their medication has treated it and they're not actively in DKA or hyperosmolar syndrome or perhaps hypoglycemic. I Hopefully they are no longer hypoglycemic three days ago. Now creatinine. Now we could talk about BUN, but I want to focus about creatinine. Creatinine, the normal levels are 0.64 to 1.27. What we worry about is when the creatinine level is 1.5 to 2 times greater than the baseline. That indicates to us acute kidney injury. 
anything higher than their baseline could indicate a renal failure. So if you see a creatinine of 14 and they're not a dialysis patient, they're probably in some type of acute renal failure. Hopefully this would have been caught and 911 would have been caught, called several days before those lab results, but it is possible that they could be presenting with renal failure in front of you. So just because they have a creatinine of 4, that could be their baseline. It's important to look at their records, and we do this really often in the emergency department when we're looking at creatinines and comparing creatinines and to see where the patient's baseline, do they have a worsening of their baseline creatinine to indicate that they have some kind of injury to their kidneys. Now finally in the CMP we have AST and ALT. AST and ALT are liver enzymes and determine if they're elevated that there is injury to the liver. The normal level for AST is 12 to 38. The normal level for ALT is 12 to 32. Now this can be elevated both in sepsis as there is shock liver or injury to the liver, or can be also elevated due to cirrhosis and hepatitis C. Really, we start to worry when the AST and ALT are elevated in several thousands, and that could indicate to you that the patient is progressing into liver failure. Let's talk a little bit about lipase. The lipase is basically a measure of the enzyme for pancreas. And so if it's elevated, we consider that a lipase elevated can be pancreatitis. So if it's larger than the normal, or you're getting a critical lab finding on lipase, this could be acute pancreatitis. And so treatment with that would be IV fluids, pain management, and transfer to the emergency department. Now, lipase can also be elevated in other things. Lipase elevation in the setting of trauma could indicate an underlying pancreatic injury from the trauma that wasn't immediately addressed. And so patients that have recently undergone a trauma or abdominal trauma could have an elevated lipase several days later from some undiscovered pancreatic injury. Additionally, there also can be elevated lipase in patients with chronic pancreatitis or some type of pseudocyst or a basically fluid-filled structure that is on the pancreas causing flare-ups of pancreatitis. So it really depends on the patient's baseline. If they have no history of pancreatitis, it's unlikely that an elevation in lipase would not indicate anything other than pancreatitis. That being said, if they've had histories of alcoholic pancreatitis or pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis or chronic pancreatitis, their lipase may always be elevated. Before we move into the cardiac enzymes, let's talk about urinalysis. There are a lot of numbers and titles when it comes to urinalysis. So let's focus on what to look at. And my advice is to look at the blood, the glucose, the ketones, the leukocyte esterases, and the nitrites. So looking at blood, what does blood in the urine tell us? Well, this could be a kidney stone or could be rhabdomyolysis. Could it also be blood from trauma? It all depends on the clinical context. Most of the time, especially even our patients in the nursing home, blood in the urine is probably going to indicate some type of kidney stone or infection. If they're a male, however, could it be prostate cancer? If they're female, could it possibly be some type of bleeding from the vagina that is falling into the urine? A senior individual who is past their age of menses, this could indicate some type of underlying cancer. Further, if they've been bedbound or they've had some type of trauma, they can develop rhabdomyolysis, which is a leakage of protein and breakdown of protein that is unable to be filtered by the kidneys and ends up in the urine. This will not present as protein, but rather will show up as blood in the urinalysis. And that rhabdomyolysis, those proteins break down that heads to the kidney can cause acute renal failure or failure of the kidneys. 
Blood in the urinalysis in the setting of trauma could indicate some type of urethral injury or penile injury, or it also could indicate a bladder rupture, depending on what setting this injury took place. If you see glucose in the urinalysis, most likely that patient is a diabetic, and that usually you'll see greater than 1,000 glucose in the urine. This is not really pertinent to emergency medicine other than to help us diagnose that this patient is likely a diabetic. Ketones? Not all ketones are DKA. Most of the time when we think of ketones in the urine, we think that this patient's in diabetic ketoacidosis. But ketones in the urine can also be seen in patients that are in starvation, who have some type of anorexia or bulimia, or can also be in your common alcohol user or who went on a binger. They can have ketones given that they're in some type of starvation. Leukocyte esterase and nitrites are really what you need to look for when you're trying to determine if the patient has a urinary tract infection. Now, leukocyte esterase are not always indicating a UTI. If you see leukocyte esterases, it could mean an UTI. It could mean an STI or an STD. It could also mean some type of appendicitis or infected kidney stone. So it requires further workup to evaluate what exactly is going on. So it really is kind of a nonspecific white cell count that we have in the urinalysis that requires further evaluation. Further nitrites, however, kind of give us a clearer picture that this is a UTI. It is the most sensitive of the tests in urinalysis for a urinary tract infections. And most of the time, if the patient has elevated nitrites, they're going to require some type of antibiotic. In a nursing home setting, if you have an altermental status female who has nitrites in their urine, they're probably having a UTI, which is causing their delirium. And so will require admission and antibiotics. Now let's talk about the cardiac enzymes and what in, what is important. And we'll be very brief about them and not go too into the details. So let's talk both about troponin and BNP. Troponin, there currently exists in the city a high sensitivity and a non-high sensitivity troponin or a lab troponin. Essentially what a troponin tells you is there are some type of strain on the heart or there is some type of non-ST elevation MI. Now, troponin can be falsely elevated in the setting of acute renal failure, or AKI, can also cause troponin to be elevated. But most of the time, when we consider troponin, that indicates to us that there's some type of injury to the heart or some strain to the heart, whether that's ischemic or load-dependent on the heart. In the EMS world, when we see an elevated troponin, we should be concerned that there is something affecting the heart and transport them to a cardiac center. Most of the time, these patients picked up from nursing homes or clinics will already have physicians at the hospitals, and so it's best to take them to what hospital they do business with or what hospital their cardiologist is present. The brain nitroretic peptide, or BNP, is a nonspecific lab and could be elevated from multiple things. What we are concerned about when we're talking about BNP is there is some type of congestive heart failure exacerbation. But any fluid in the body, whether that's lymphedema or the lymph nodes are swollen, can cause an elevated BNP. CHF exacerbation is just what we worry about the most. And you can see this level into the several thousands or through the 20 thousands. And most of the time, they will get admitted. If you see a BNP that's elevated with a patient that has a history of CHF and they're having difficulty breathing, likely they're going to benefit from CPAP or some positive pressure and diuresis. And finally, let's talk about the thyroid stimulating hormone, or TSH. Really, from an EMS perspective, this is an endocrine lab, and so from an emergency perspective or an acute emergency perspective, there's not much that we're going to do on transport for the patient. But there are some disease states to look at in correlation with that lab. If you have low TSH, this indicates it's hyperthyroid. 
The reason is this TSH is a precursor to T3 and T4 or the thyroid hormone. If it's low, that means there is a feedback mechanism where the T3 and T4 are being produced so much from the thyroid gland that is causing the hypothalamus to not produce any further TSH to stimulate more thyroid. So this indicates that there is thyroid run wild. And so what we worry about with a hyperthyroid is thyrotoxicosis. And how we identify the patient's going to look like they're on a sympathomimic, like methamphetamine or cocaine. They're going to be tachycardic or high heart rate. They're going to have high blood pressure. They're going to look anxious. They're going to be flushed. Treatment in EMS for this condition includes a beta blocker if it is in your protocol, if not a comfortable position, IV fluids, and rapid transport to the hospital. If TSH is high, that indicates a low thyroid in the sense that TSH is being released from the hypothalamus, trying to tell the thyroid to release thyroid hormone, but it's not doing it based on some injury or some type of failure of the thyroid gland. Really, this is very common, and many individuals take supplements like levothyroxine, provide that thyroid hormone that they need for metabolism. One thing to watch out for when you're talking about hypothyroid is myxedema coma. Myxedema coma is a conglomerate of symptoms, and really it is a life-threatening disease. So what we expect to see, or severe hypothyroidism, as well as mental status change. You'll see in the long term, thinning hair loss, puffy face, enlarged thyroid, loss of eyebrow hair. But what I want you all to focus on is more of this non-pitting edema and bradycardia and mental status change. If nothing else, hypothermia or low temperature, bradycardia, low heart rate, shock-like symptoms, hypoglycemia, and hypothermia and delirium or mental status. Most of the time, it's going to be almost like a comatose state. That's why they give the name myxedema coma. I hope this helps with just a very brief discussion on some of the labs that we encounter every day in EMS, especially when we're taking patients from clinical settings and nursing homes. And I hope this provides you a little bit more education on what those labs actually mean and what to look for if that patient deteriorates. This has been Dr. Kuzel with the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. Thank you for what you do, and please stay safe out there. Thank you.